Thanks for downloading this episode of On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. If you were denied a proper cotillion or never had a chance to be presented with a debutante ball, it's not too late for you. You can still learn how to act and behave politely from Philip Galanis, who writes the Social Cues column in the New York Times every Sunday in the Style section. Social Cues offers lighthearted advice about awkward social situations and is sure to prepare you to present yourself appropriately in social circles. Philip, welcome to the podcast. Eric, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. Now, my wife is partly responsible for this interview because she it's reads you to me. It's always the wives. It's always the wives. Why? Why, she, Eric, is it always the wives? She reads you to me on Sundays, and she wishes the world had better manners. And before we get started, she wants to know where you grew up, where you live, and how you got interested in good manners. It's really a total fluke and probably going to be deeply depressing to your wife to figure out that the way that I got this job was by writing a 100% failed novel when I was a youngish guy. I, I, um, I am a lawyer. I'm an entertainment lawyer and like many lawyers became so despondent when I started to really understand what the life of a lawyer would be. So I started waking up super early in the morning and started writing a novel. And it would be a novel about what every young guy writes about, which is the novel of me, the novel of me coming to uh, adulthood. And I thought that this novel was going to change everything in my life. Like, all of a sudden, Eric was going to say, God, I really understand this guy in a brand new way. And guess what? It was like a Sally Field moment. It was like, God, I love this guy. But, you know, as most people who write novels know, they, it's like dropping a feather into a well. Nothing ever happens. And so I go off and I lick my wounds and I'm still stuck being a lawyer. Then, out of the blue, this incredible editor at the New York Times style section says... I kind of think you're full of shit, but I, Jesus, I loved the voice of this guy. Would you be interested in writing a modern day Dear Abby for me? So my interest in behaving well is practically non-existent or not any bigger than anyone else's. Although I come from a tough family and so smoothing over problems was kind of my role in, in, in the big group. And that is how the job started to happen. What, what surprised me was, you know, Dear Abby is a pretty old-fashioned thing. It's like a 70s. Well, I mean, I grew up in the 70s. And that is, you know, that was my introduction to newspapers. I wanted to read Dear Abby and the comics and Dear Abby. And Sorry, go ahead. And and also, I, I just want to get in there. You know, tell us where you're from, and are you now a New York City person? 
I am. I am a New York City person now. I am the most country bumpkin of fellows you will have ever met. I, I, I was born and brought up in Brattleboro, Vermont, population like six and a half, depending on, you know, the weekend involved. And it was like a little town. And so we – and so Dear Abby and – Maybe it's for everyone. Maybe it was for everyone. Maybe it's not just for country people. It was a way for me to say, "Wow, this is a real people have got people have got people out there in like Los Angeles or Topeka or Boston. They've got problems that like look a lot like mine or my second grade teachers or my mother's or blah blah." And so I loved it. What I didn't expect was that anyone would care anymore about Dear Abby. So. Practically from the first week when hundreds of letters started to pour into this thing. And P.S., I'll say in a parenthetical way, I think the New York Times thought that this was really low rent and would probably last for about a minute and a half. But the demand blew my socks off. So I was be getting hundreds of letters a week on all kinds of stuff, not only the new netiquette technical stuff, social media stuff that I suspect you're going to be more interested in, but also on all the old-fashioned stuff like, God, my sister-in-law, I, 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 I treat her so well and, and she doesn't appreciate anything I do. What can I do? My, my, my husband gave me a blender for my 40th birthday. I mean, it's all the old stuff and all the new stuff, and I've got to say – it is really the best job I could ever imagined having gotten, and I got it because I failed at the job that I really wanted. Now, on November 1st, your book, Social Cues, How to Survive the Quirks, Quandaries, and Quagmires of Today, comes out. Tell us about the book. Well, it goes a little bit back to the fact that there are hundreds of letters that are coming in a week, hundreds, sometimes even more, and even more letters coming in saying, Philip, you are crazy. Philip, you're a genius. Philip, you were like, whoa, you got that one wrong. So there are all these letters coming in, and I can answer four every week in my column in the Times. So I'm very old school. I print them all out. I've got them all around me on the living room floor, and I started sorting them, and I started seeing, geez, there are some real patterns here. So I divided them up into the 20 most common problems people tend to talk to me about anyway today. And then I came up with, I tried to come up with lighthearted but practical and, you know, funny but serious solutions to the problems that people were raising. So 20 brand new essays about the 20 worst problems people are telling me about today. Coming out on November 1st from Simon and & Schuster, and I was so lucky because – I don't know if you – do you guys know about blurbs? Or you, do you like tech people know how important it is to get somebody famous to say something about you on the back of a book? I, I don't – I never personally understood that myself, but I even lucked out in that department. So I've really got my fingers crossed here sitting in New York that on November 1st, I may well be you know, probably drafted to be – you know 
in the NBA or something like that on the basis of the book and the blurbs and all that. Now, it's interesting timing because uh, both Dale Carnegie's Win Friends and Influence People and Emily Post's Etiquette were recently revised for the digital age. So tell us, does social cues focus on how to have good manners in the digital age as well? Oh, absolutely. But, you know, unlike those folks, and I have nothing but respect for Dale Carnegie and Emily Post Institute and all those people. I believe they're all dead, long dead, and it's now their children in the time-honored tradition of opening envelopes and, you know, collecting royalties on things that their forebears have done. I think there is not a right answer. Emily Post and her, like, knowing which little fork to go to, God bless you, Emily Post. But I'm interested in the more complicated things where there's there's two sides. There, there there's two sides to there's two sides to everything. And I'm trying to I'm I'm much more interested in helping people, certainly in social media and in on the street and in their jobs and everywhere, try to sort of weigh out what the benefits and the costs of, you know, being a person in the world are. But, you know, whenever two people meet, that's a problem. And it's also, an, you know, it's also a possibility for something terrific to happen. Well, it's not just when people meet. Sometimes it's when people and companies or people in online services meet as well. Oh, uh, there's been point. an uproar recently about Facebook's changes. There's always an uproar when they make significant changes. And, and uh, regardless of whether or not it's right or wrong for them to make those changes, what I'd be interested to know from you is, is the way in which Facebook introduces or rolls out updates rude? And is there a more polite way that they could introduce service changes? Well, I don't know if you followed the whole Netflix thing lately. Boy, but that warmed the cockles of my heart. They were going to split out their company into different you know, into two different uh, sort of sister companies. They were going to make a Netflix customer become, you know, have two passwords and two this and two that. And people went crazy. And Netflix said, stood back and said, you know, sorry, I'm hearing you. Sorry. We're going to take this back to the drawing board. Pretend that never happened. And I wish that I could see a little bit more of that in the Facebook in the Facebook department, because you know at this point you know we're I don't know how many in the world of social media like what generation are we in in Facebook? It it went from this idea of God the perfect party that we were going to throw for ourselves now to this thing where we can barely keep up with all the ways in which we're being uh, monitored and people subscribing to us and you know some vaguely stalkerish things that would I think make almost anyone feel uncomfortable let's talk for a minute about Facebook because I think Facebook creates a lot of social challenges today um, first of all is, is it okay say for me to send a Facebook friend request to the mother of a child at my school without friending her husband first. God, specific much, Eric? Is there a lady is there a ladybird out there you would like to tell us about? Well right I ha no there are. There are mothers of children in the school that the drop off guy? I am not the drop-off drop guy, but I help. I help with community service, 
and we're trying to raise, we're trying to get candy donated for charity right now. So I put up a little web page and I put a Facebook like button in the in the page, knowing that if I could get other mothers in the school to click the like button, that more that their networks would be notified and we get more candy. So I've but I've got to, these mothers have to be my Facebook friend in order for me to send them a message asking them to click the like button. Yeah, well then I I and you know something that explanation makes 100% sense to me and PS you're not asking them to meet you at the Chateau Marmont for a drink at seven o'clock. So yeah, go, f absolutely go for it. You're you're up to something that's for the greater good. I don't think anyone is ever going to mistake this as a kind of pervy attempt to, you know, meet at the tennis club for a you know a you know a madras uh, before the husbands get home. We have lots of ways in which we need to meet people. We have lots of ways in which we need people today and lots of ways in which we want to uh, 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 meet them and we, we also want to engage them. And, you know, I hope you're not the kind of guy who's sitting home going, God, Mrs. Smith didn't respond. That really hurts my feelings because we're all being bombarded with so many requests from so many different people and places and causes right now it it's come so far it's come so far from where it started and it's going so fast that i think we all have to just swim as fast as we can and hope that we're not hurting anyone's feelings and when we do god my f the first thing you do is you know whip out the list the class list that you've got if it seems like one of your friend requests has been taken the wrong way, get off of the computer right away and call up and say, "Judy, I'm if I if I if I uh, if I rubbed you the wrong way, I am really sorry." Got it. Okay. Now l let me ask you something else. It, sometimes, you know, we go onto Facebook and we look at different pictures, and maybe we enjoy those pictures, but we don't always respond. So, I mean, is it okay to snoop in your friend's Facebook feed without leaving likes or comments, even if you do really like what you see? Of course it is. Of course it is. The, Facebook is like reality television. Isn't Facebook our part of our deep-seated belief and desire that we too could be celebrities? You know, we might be the real housewife of New York City, of Topanga Canyon, of wherever the hell we are. And we're willing to put our stuff up there for our friends' amusement and, and stuff. I think it's kind of menschy for you to hit like every once in a while. It's not going to take that much time out of your life. But when people start getting really petty about stuff like that, it makes me think that, you know, a weekend without a weekend not logged into Facebook might be the best medicine that they could possibly sign up for. I have some Facebook friends who only seem to post when they have something to brag about, like a Paris vacation or front row seat somewhere. Is it rude not to show at least some humility and share from the heart once in a while? I agree. I cannot tell you this might come from, you know, maybe we share a small 
little grain of menchiness deep in our system, but nobody likes a braggart, and nobody likes it when the only time you're... I've got friends who the only time they post is when they've got something... It's worse than that. At least when they go to the Metropolitan Opera and are sitting in like an incredible box, I go like, wow, I've got friends who the only time they post anything is when they've got something to sell me, and I've got to like go to Amazon or go to, you know, some other online location and lay down my hard-earned shekels for it. So, yeah, I think I think the most interesting friends to have on Facebook are the ones who are giving, who are sharing the totality of their lives with us. And I know that, you know, I'm not a super depressive person or anything, but 20% of my life, it ain't so rosy. So, I I like I like to share a little bit of that with my friends and you know something in my experience when I do that that's when that's when the real authentic that's when the real authentic sort of response of friendship comes back at me not when I'm like, you know, not when I was like, thank God I was there for Mara when Mariana Rivera like broke the Wecker record and I and I was right there and la, la, la. I mean, that's not as much as it is about when, you know, you were, you really thought something, you really thought that article was going to sell and it didn't. That, that's part of life too. And a Great point. Now, I am Facebook friends with my niece and my nephew who are both late teens. And I'm sometimes hesitant to leave comments <laughs> in their status updates because I don't want to be seen like I'm chaperoning their conversation. That's a really great point. That is such a great point. Who are you? Are you Miss? Are you Mr. Robinson? Are you their uncle Eric? Are you really there? I mean, they're late teens, so that presumably you could actually be something like real friends with them too. And what duty do you owe to their mothers and fathers? Um, it's it's a very complicated world, and I suspect it would be – I suspect those things – like uh, this is like a perfect example of what you were talking about in terms of Emily Post and, and, um, and uh, Dale Carnegie. There's no one-size-fits-all here. A really responsible 18-year-old girl is going to have a different – a really responsible 18-year-old niece is going to have a different is going to have a different relationship with you online than her 14-year-old brother who is just sort of uploading clips from South Park. Let's say for example there's a conversation going on in one of their feeds they're talking about something and and I actually feel as though I have information that could help them not just them but the friends and everybody and is I, it's not I want to contribute let's say but I mean do I try to write like a kid do I try to use I mean because they you know might write things a certain way or do I just send them a private message and say hey by the way and then and then do they you know feel uncomfortable having conversations because I'm watching it's not like sex, right? No, not, no, like is, where, where a good restaurant is or yeah. something like that. You know what I really love in an adult and an adult talking to a child? I, and I don't want to say child because they're 16. There's something in between children and adults. I love self-deprecation in an adult like that. You know, 
you guys probably know a million places, but someplace that my wife and I really like going in, you know, someplace my wife and I really like going in Calabasas is X. And you share it, and it's like that, and they're free to agree with you or disagree with you, but you haven't been the professor from Gilligan's Island telling them what the right answer is. Twitter etiquette, digital parenting, and good smartphone manners when we return. Stay with us. Oh, hi. It, it's me again. Uh, just three things that I wanted to mention to you uh, before we continue with the interview. Um, the first is uh, I completed my hands-on training tour with uh, Social Media Today, and uh, the feedback was very positive, and I expect to be adding more dates very soon. Um, and if you're interested in that and you want to play a role in the cities that we add, uh, please send me an email to eric at ontherecordpodcast.com. Also, I'll be in New York December 1st and 2nd teaching a social media boot camp at the Public Relations Society of America. And you can get information about that uh, at ericschwartzman.com forward slash upcoming. Uh, the room is not that big. I think there's only room for 25 people. So if you're interested in that, uh, you might want to sign up. And finally, uh, I'm really excited to be going to Paris for Le Web 2011 um, in December, just after that. And uh, definitely looking to uh, hook up with interesting people to interview for this podcast at that conference. So if there are any European listeners uh, to this podcast or uh, friends of friends that want to uh, reach out and suggest a uh, potential interview candidates, please send me an email to eric at ontherecordpodcast.com. Now, Philip, Twitter only gives you 140 characters, which has caused many users to write in shorthand substituting numbers for words and removing vowels to truncate words. Is that bad manners or are spelling and grammar irrelevant? Well, it's probably mean, I think it means something very different for you and me, Eric, because we went to school in the olden days where people actually taught us how to how to write properly. It makes me seriously sad to watch my nephews and my and my friends kids who 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 don't know how to who don't know how to write properly and then when it comes to writing the the notes the emails to the the guy who's going to possibly employ them at the new york times and you see that alphanumeric sort of gr8 it makes me it makes me cry a little bit so it's not bad manners it's just really self-defeating so but but there we have it. I mean, the we have a world of people who are communicating in 140 characters or less. And it is something that we're going to have to – it's something we're going to really going to have to watch play out. One of the questions that I get so often 
from employers is, you know, I've got this young woman, I've got this young guy who works for me. They are so talented, but if you saw how they wrote and how they communicated with me in email or in memos, it would, it, it, it would, it would, you know, turn your stomach, and it would certainly make you fire them and look out into the world for other people. So, th that's a real problem, right? You don't. That's not what we want our bosses to think. No, no matter who our boss is, we don't want him to think of us as like a, you know, a, you know, a, 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 a special needs kind of student. So, how to deal with that? I, I, I haven't the vaguest. Do you? Well, I guess it's a generational thing because when, you know, the younger people who use those services and are comfortable with the shorthand become the bosses, their expectations will be different. Right, but I ain't going anywhere, and I don't suspect you are either. So for a, for a period of at least 10 or 15 years, they've got to be able to there, – there's going to have to be both. And you know something? Maybe I get over myself and I go – you know, this guy can't really write a sentence, but geez, look at that marketing plan, or geez, look at the way he look at the way he's fixed that problem. I'm pretty impressed with him. Um, I, I don't want to be like Miss Grundy, the you know the teacher who's like bemoaning the you know the loss of culture because because I also know I also see especially from young kids who write into me beautiful writing. I mean beautiful writing. But boy, this is uh, talk about a moment. Talk about a problem whose moment is right exactly at this second. It's it's happening right now. On Twitter, everyone can see who you follow. Uh, Matthias Lufkins, who's a previous guest on this podcast, uh, did a session on Twitter diplomacy at the Web last year, showing that not all heads of state follow their own ministers. Uh, let alone the heads of state of countries that they have international relations with. Uh, is it rude for someone like Sarkozy not to follow the heads of state of all the countries that France has international relations with, or should he be free to choose who he follows on his own? Well, I don't, you know, I have tremendous respect for Matthias, but you know, do you really think, I mean, it takes narcissism to a brand new level like a you know a stratospheric level to think that we are going to be sitting around looking at the people who are following us D do you do that i've never done that not even once and unfortunately i'm the kind of person who make who now thinks that when as soon as we're done i probably am going to go and look at all the people who are following me <laughs> and or not but no I don't think that's I, I, I don't think that's rude. I think it is uh, I don't think it's rude in the least. I think it's a, I think it's a lot about the volume of information coming at us and the way that we are swimming through it as best and as well as we can. How many times, Eric, this week? I mean, on the realm of public figure writing an Dear Abby column for the New York Times has got to be about the lowest rung there is, if not a sub-rung. But the number of tweets that I get a week saying, hey, it's my birthday, will you retweet me? There, there's a lot of action going on there, but is the action – I mean, it, it, 
you could get rid of a lot of the action on Twitter before you actually got to action that actually meant anything, right? Let's talk for a minute about parenting in the digital world because I think it does bring new challenges. Um, and in another episode of this podcast, Gino Church spoke about how his 14-year-old daughter used Facebook and her cell phone uh, to plan and actually run away from home. And it led to a, a horrific series of months where he actually went out on the road and used digital media, you know, what he could get of it, to track her down, find her, and bring her back home. Um, when wow. it comes to monitoring how your children use social media, is it wrong to set up software to monitor your child's online behavior without disclosing it to them? Listen, my view is that my responsibility, as my primary responsibility as a parent is to keep my child safe. And that is a line that is going to be different that's going to a line that's going to be different for everyone but i would have no compunction at all about monitoring anything that's going on with a kid under the age of 13 or 14 and in that moment i don't know how old gino's daughter was when all this was going on but I would say between the ages of 14 and 16, boy, you are in quicksand and you are probably having to work it out on a case-by-case -case basis and trying to f maximize the respect and privacy you give your daughter and son while also keeping them safe, right? Jeez, that's a horrifying story. Yeah, it really is. He actually wrote about it in his book, uh, Brains on Fire. Um, and we'll have a link to that uh, episode in the, sh in the show notes as well. Uh, let's talk for a minute about smartphones because they come out in social situations. And so you they know, come I, out. Yeah. They never they never go away in social situations. <laughs> so let's, so let's say, you know, you simply have to keep one eye on your smartphone for good reason. How okay. do you, how do, you do it without being rude? Let's step back. I have a work emergency or a family situation that is going down that is, you know, a, a truly a legitimate emergency. I have that twice a week, twice a year, twice a year I have that. What I do have in addition is a pure damn addiction to my phone vibrating. Now, that is not an emergency. That is my problem and I need to figure out how to solve it. I have, I'm no better at it than anyone else. I don't want to be a, take a superior tone because when my phone starts vibrating, geez, all I want, all I want, I could be, you know, I could be sitting with Bill and Hillary Clinton and all I would want was to pick up that phone and say, you know, who is it? What is it? And it's probably just some stupid Facebook update from some friend who's, you know, getting a ticket to the Joni Mitchell concert. But, but the problem is we've got a problem. And we're all figuring out simultaneously how to solve that problem. And so the first thing is to say, emergency, we've got to keep an eye on the phone. Okay, do we? Do we really? Maybe parents with young the, the ones that I'm most sympathetic to because I'm 
seriously neurotic myself is a young parents who are out at the movies and their kid is with a sitter. You know, how many times in the history of life has there really actually been an emergency? Not so many. How many times do we think there's going to be an emergency? About a million. So can one of the things that I one of the things that I one of the things that I really really try to do with my partner when we're out is set limits. We will turn the phone off or to mute or to something, put it out of the way for let's say, let's say you start with half and 15 minutes, go to half an hour, go to an hour. It gets easier. And you know something? When you turn it on, it makes you feel really popular because lots of stuff comes up. But really, was there ever an emergency? Not so much. Final question, Philip. Um, you know, you and I come from the Western world, uh, but when we interact online, we interact with you know the global village, people from all different nations and cultures. Um, in the world of search marketing, uh, which has to do with uh, you know people creating content most likely to rank highly in search results, uh, there's a term known as black hat, and it refers to a search marketer who uses unethical practices to try to game search algorithms to come up first. Um, but the truth is that, you know, marketers from some countries, from other cultures, um, where, ca where unabashed capitalism is not necessarily frowned upon, may not see those same practices as unethical. And we see this a lot now with um, search marketers coming out of Asia and India where they practice ways of trying to game search that we might in the West see as unethical and Google might see as unethical. Uh, but, I mean, if they're not coming from the same cultural background, are they still unethical? Or do we perhaps need to adjust our expectations of fairness? Well, first question, can you set me up with them so that we can get my social cues book as highly searched as high, as as high a result in the in this in this unethical searching as possible first question I, okay honestly Second, the truth is i i can't because i'm so i'm so disgusted by them that i have no relationship with them well i think we are i mean i think that you're also after the stupid first jokey thing I think you're absolutely right, and I think that we are now seeing a kind of – I mean we're now seeing a kind of international – we're now seeing a, a, a kind of international collisions and collisions of business practice that are simply mind-blowing. Is it, is, it, is it disgusting and unethical? Of course it is. But how are we going to deal with them? I mean, I know you. I bet you're not going to want to say – I bet you're not going to want to pair back – I bet you're not going to want to pair back access that are going that, – that would ever eliminate people who are behaving ethically in order to, uh, you know – in order to get rid of the people who are acting unethically, you wouldn't want to do that either. Right? You can't. You can't. It's it's a, would be a form of censorship. It's wrong. Absolutely. So I think this is one of the. I think this is one of those things where we're going to have to, where we're going to have to wait and see. And you're going to have a churning stomach for a few 
I hope it's a few, you know, I hope it's only a few months, but maybe it's a few years as we work all this stuff out because, geez, this was not what we were thinking of when we started logging on to eBay in 1995, right? Philip Gowanus, the book is Social Cues, How to Survive the Quirks, Quandaries, and Quagmires of Today. It's in the stores on November 1st, and we will have a link in the show notes. Philip, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Eric. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord.com, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com.